Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We read the scripture, John sixteen twenty nine through 33 And the, the part I want to isolate from that particular scripture is this is this the the one verse and that's that's found in verse 32 when Jesus said the hour comes and now is that you shall be scattered every man to his own and you shall leave me alone yet I'm not alone because the father is with me now Jesus made a statement that calls our attention to some things that have been going on in our lives recently and that we want to talk about. And, and what I'm going to do this morning, I'm, I'm really going to sort of get away from a sermon sort of a statement to you. I, I just want to talk to you about some things that have been going on in our lives during this pandemic, what's called a pandemic. We have been uh, separated from each other in a public assembly for about nine months. So we have learned the, uh, what, what uh, isolation means, which, which is basically a separation of an individual to uh, avoid transmitting a disease from someone who's infected to someone who's not infected, or quarantine, which means to keep apart so that you won't be susceptible to or that you can't spread a disease. Anyway, isolation and quarantine has made us aware of the fact that uh, we sometimes are alone. Now, Jesus said he was going to be alone because they were all going to forsake him. And then he said, but I'm not alone. Now, the, the word Jesus is not using here is the one I want to use when we, when we talk about this. We are socially distancing ourselves from one another. And we are quarantining ourselves at times. And that has resulted in what some people, and what basically is considered to be alone. We are alone. And oftentimes being alone is mistaken for, and what Jesus said is not loneliness, but being alone is sometimes mistaken for loneliness. Loneliness is a malady. It's a specific malady. Loneliness is, by definition, an unpleasant emotion, an emotional response to a perceived isolation. It's an emotional response. And if you've ever felt lonely, I'm not sure that Jesus felt lonely when he said, I'm not alone or I'm going to be left alone. And we'll, just, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But it's an unpleasant feeling that you feel like you're isolated from others. Voluntary isolation is, uh, is one thing, and involuntary isolation is called imposed isolation. So sometimes we feel enough pressure that we just want to get away from it all. So we voluntarily separate ourselves from others. We feel like we need to be alone. Now that does not produce loneliness, that emotional response, that emotional pain. We just want to, we, we just want to be away physically. Jesus himself, in Luke chapter 4, verse 42, said he went out into a desert place. He went out to a desert place to be by himself. And also in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, in order to seek his father's presence, he went up on a mountain to pray. Continued all night in prayer. Now Jesus, as he said in John 16, he said, uh, 
You're going to leave me alone. You're all going to be scattered and you're going to leave me alone. The hour's coming in which you'll leave me alone. And they did. They left him alone. And yet he did not feel lonely. He said, I'm not alone. The Father's with me. And he made that statement two or three times in the New Testament that we have record of, where he said, I and my Father are one. He, he always claimed the fact that his Father was with him. I'm with my Father. John chapter 8 has several statements in it along that line. So his voluntary isolation was that he could be alone by himself when he wanted to be, get away from the crowd, or that he could go and pray. But, but uh, voluntary solitude doesn't harm our psyche. It doesn't do anything to us personally. If I want to be by myself and have a little me time, that doesn't damage my psyche. But if I'm forced into solitude... If, I, if it's imposed upon me by a number of different ways, and it can be done socially, then it does have an effect on me. It makes me feel lonely. For instance, if, I, if I'm uh, separated from company because people do not want to be around me, or I, I sense that, or if I'm socially distanced from people because... They do not like my social standing or the clothes that I wear or the uh, background that I come from. Or if I'm shunned or separated, then, then that will produce in me what is called loneliness. I know of one time in the life of Jesus where it could be said, and he did say it himself, I feel lonely. You know when that was? Well, when he went to the cross, something happened. He said, the hour's coming, you'll be scattered, and you'll leave me alone. Now, Jesus always knew that there were people who sought his presence. They, they wanted to be around him. So he never felt the social stigma of not being wanted. People wanted him. Sometimes they even followed him to get bread. In John chapter 6, that's what they did. They Across the, went around the end of, north end of the Sea of Galilee just to get to him to seek more bread. They sought him because he could do things for them, and he did. But there came a time in his life where he said, people are not going to want to be with me. They're going to reject me. He said that three times to his apostles. I will be rejected. People do not want to be with me. They will not want to be around me. And that happened. When he went to Calvary, while he was being examined and scourged, everybody separated themselves from him. Now, he didn't say at that point, I feel alone. Because he said just earlier, he said, I'm not alone, I'm with my Father. But you know what happened? When he died on the cross, and his Father turned his face from him, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So at that point, Jesus felt not only rejected by humanity, but he felt all alone. He was lonely. And so he had that emotional response to his father because the one he wanted to be with more than any other, his father. And that's what happened when we get lonely. Now that's why I don't want to preach this morning. I just want to talk to you. It's, it's good that I can just talk to you because you can't talk back. I can say what I want to say, and you have to hear what I'm saying. But you don't have to. You can turn me off. But at the same time, I'd like for you to hear what I have to say about this business of loneliness. We know that it is here, and we know that it is harmful. And we know that it hurt our Lord on the cross. We know that it was painful to Him. So we also know that we need relationship a warm human relationship jesus needed that and he needed that from his father but we need these personal relationships in genesis chapter 2 at verse 18 when when god created adam and eve after he created adam he said he made a statement he said it is not good for man to be alone not good for man to be alone we need each other we need human contact we need relationships. We need to be in touch with one another. And we need more than anything else, 
We need the warm human touch and response that says, I like you and I want to be around you and I want to be with you. When you do not have that feeling, then a feeling of loneliness creeps in and it begins to damage our psyche. It damages our mental well-being and our mental happiness. It bothers us and it basically hurts our heart. The result of the lack of human touch is loneliness. And it's that feeling that you are alone even in a crowd. And you need to understand this point. When we feel like we are lonely, and it's a malady, by the way, when we feel lonely, it's because we are not getting the relationship or the attention of someone that we respect and want that relationship with. You can be lonely in a crowd Hundreds of people around you and lonely because you are lacking something, not from that crowd, but you're lacking from someone that you have confidence in, someone that you love, someone that you, you admire, someone that you want to, to recognize you and feel that you are worth something. Loneliness actually brings about this concept within ourselves that, that we are worthless, that we don't have any value to anyone, and especially to the people that we love. And that's why... Instead of preaching to you this morning, that's why I want to talk to you about this concept of loneliness. I want to talk to adults, individuals, in a range of maturity from the time, not in your salad days, and not in your old age, not in your, not in your, uh, and I don't, want to, don't know how to use this term, senility, maybe. I want to talk to those who are in this range of mental acuity. They can understand where you are, who you are, and that you have some balance within yourself that you have a perspective of relationships in your life. In other words, you know who you are, you have value in who you are, and that you have reached a state in your development that, that you don't depend upon others to define who you are. Now, there, there's, a, there's a range of relationship from early infancy to age, old age, that that can happen, that you can, you can feel balanced, and that you can feel adequate in what you're doing. Now, the fact that loneliness impairs our ability to relate to others is a given fact. Now, the Bible said, in Genesis 2 at verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, we're not all from Missouri. But most of us say, well, okay, Bill, you say loneliness is bad for you. And Genesis 2.18 says God doesn't want you to be alone. What proof do you have that loneliness is detrimental? What, what, what damage does it do? What damage does it do for the governor to say... You can't gather in crowds over 25 in number, over 10 in number, whatever it may be, isolate you. We know that isolation and separation from human contact is uncomfortable. It is a voluntary sort of isolation, though. It's not something that's been imposed on us. Any imposed isolation comes about because the people in our society, the ones specifically that we love, have made us feel lonely. Now, a stranger does not make me feel lonely, nor you. They, nobody makes you feel lonely if it's a stranger. Society can make you feel lonely by, by shunning you. Uh, your, your school friends can make you feel lonely by not having anything to do with you, not including you in their activities. Your business relationships can make you feel lonely by saying you're not part of us and you're not worthy to be part of us. So there's all sorts of uh, psychological and, and community activities that can go on that can make you feel lonely. But the one who makes you feel lonely the worst is the one that's closest to you. Mother, daddy, brother, sister, friend, neighbor, husband, wife, father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, people that you love, people that you admire, people that you respect, that you desire their touch. You want them to know you. You want them to feel for you. Close friends 
These are the ones who can make you feel lonely. Now, like I said, we usually demand proof. How do we know that loneliness is detrimental to us? How do we know that it harms us? Well, let's start out with that first spectrum of those who start out in an early age. What damage would it do if an infant from infancy, from birth, felt lonely? What damage would it do? There was a uh, situation that I want, to, I want to call this to your attention. There was a situation in Romania that uh, began in the, in the middle 1960s. And it involved a uh, communist dictator by the name of Nicola Kozeska. And he reigned from 1966 to 1989, at which time he was assassinated. He was deposed, but he was assassinated. And during his reign, he put into effect in Romania, he put into effect a decree, and it's called the decree. And the children that were involved in this called themselves the children of the decree. His decree was that everybody must have as many children as they can, and anyone who did not would be taxed. As a matter of fact, they were examined yearly, annually, they were examined, the women were examined to make sure that they were producing children because he wanted the country populated into his communist regime. And he made the statement, he said, have as many children as you can and we'll tax you if you don't. So they had more children that they could support. And they went into institutions, orphanages, if you want to call them that. Orphanages. Now, the question is, and the point is, what we, what we found was an experiment that took place during this period of time where the motto of this communist dictator was, the state can take better care of your children than you can. We'll take care of your children. And so they put them in orphanages, in homes. Not, I, don't, I don't think you can call them homes. But they, they put them in buildings. And they staffed these buildings. And the buildings housed hundreds of orphans. In 1989, when it was discovered what was going on by a fellow by the name of Fox, and before that, a journalist from Britain discovered it. There were 170,000 children in these orphanages. Over 700 of the housing units existed in Romania. Now, here's, here's what went on in the, in the orphanages. Just what I'm doing is showing you that it was damaging to these children to be placed in that situation without the warmth of the human touch. The children were placed in uh, when they when they were born, firstborn. They were placed in cribs, and they were placed under the care of attendants. And the attendants were told not to provide warm human touch, just to take care of the needs of the children, of the babies. So they were bathed, they were diapered, they were bottle fed. But that was it. They were never picked up. They were never held. They were never sang to. Nothing. They were just raised as infants. As they got older, they, were, they, they made bigger holes in the nipples of the bottle so that the children could take stronger food or more firm food. There was no personal contact by the nurses or the personnel. The walls were bland and gray. That's what this journalist discovered, and that's what Fox discovered. He's a PhD in the child pediatrician care, and he was from the United States. They discovered that the, that the ceilings were bare, the walls were bare. There was nothing in these rooms for the children to focus on, for the babies to focus on. They were just in their cribs. It was colorless, no pictures on the walls. The children had their basic needs attended to. They were looked after. They were, they were checked on medically once a month to make sure that, that they were free of diseases. Their health was monitored. 
They, they, uh, they had the necessities of life except for human touch and human emotions. Now, their activities were monitored as they grew older and they were allowed to go outside and play, but they were unsupervised in their play and their activities and they were not given any structured activities. They were taught, they were taught in school, and they, they, were, they took the babies from the time they were born until the time they were 18 and put them through school. But again, no human touch. As, as a matter of fact, no warmth response to individuals that they could attach to and, and feel like they were wanted and loved. They, uh, the babies stayed in these cribs until they were two and three years old. They discovered, when they, when they discovered the infants, and Romania still has a problem with this because they're, they're very close about not wanting foreigners to get in, in involved in what they were doing and some of the problems they were having. But the, but the babies were not able to walk until after two or three years old. And then they had trouble doing that. Most of the babies, most of the children, suffered from their eyes being crossed because they had nothing to focus on except their hands or feet while they were in the cribs. The, uh, the majority were mentally deficient. They had low IQs. And they had uh, emotional imbalances. When, when a visitor came to see them and they, they took the tour, the children clung to them, either clung to them were grouped off in a corner by themselves. The main thing that the observers found when they went that was astounding to them was there was no noise in these areas. The children did not cry or make noises. The only response that the attendants were supposed to give them was punishment. So if the child did something that was not acceptable, they were punished. And they sometimes had the children punish each other. So the main stimuli that they responded to was pain. 170,000 of them in that particular time when they were discovered, 700 institutions. And so two individuals, a fellow by the name of Charles Nelson and, and a Charles Xenia, one was from Harvard and one was from Tulane, conducted a 14-year study, and it was called the Bucharest Project. And these are the things that they found. These were the problems of loneliness. The children could not relate to others. They weren't just alone. They were lonely. So we know from their study that it is detrimental and damaging for a person to be lonely, not just alone, but lonely, not having the human touch. So as we, as we look at that, you think, well, that, that probably has something to do with what's going on in our society. Now, when people are told that they can't be with other people, then, then it's going to produce these results. Well, that's not really correct. What produces the results is not necessarily being alone and not, not necessarily being isolated, but that which produced the isolation, that which started it, that which, that which uh, got it going. Now, that's one spectrum. So everybody should know at this point that you can damage a child by not providing the emotional nutrition that the child needs. You can damage him. child can be damaged. The child wants touch. As I said before, one of the things that the, the people that came to visit these institutions, and the one in particular in Bucharest that they opened up, was that if, the child, if a child came to them, they would grab their hand and cling to them and refuse to let go. They just wanted to be touched and felt like they were wanted by a human being, someone who had that capacity. Another thing that happened was that most of them, the majority of the smaller ones, couldn't talk. They not only couldn't talk, couldn't articulate, but they didn't even know their names and they didn't know how old they were. 
You say, well, that's extreme. Yeah, sure, that's extreme. But that is, that's what produces loneliness. And a, a few of them had enough, high enough IQ, natural IQ, that they answered for the others. So they would find one once in a while that they would ask the question, a, a visitor would say, what is this one's name? And the fellow with the, the little guy with the high IQ, the little girl with the high IQ would respond and say, it's whatever the name was. They'd, they'd tell them the name. How old is he? This other, somebody else would respond because the child didn't know how old he was and he didn't even know his name. Now that, my friend, is loneliness and it produces problems. What it produces, the, the loneliness that the child feels produces some evil effects. And we know that when we do not do our parenting job properly, when we, when we do not, and that's what I'm talking about, I'm talking about this group of people between our salad days when we came into maturity and the time when we start to sink into obscurity when we get older. In that period of time, we know how to, do, how to relate healthily with people. We know that. We understand what it is to have a healthy relationship with someone and to keep them from sinking into this oblivion of not being wanted, not being cared for, being neglected, and so forth. So that's the damage, the damage that can be done. We know it can, that loneliness can damage people. The CDC conducted an experiment or conducted a uh, survey in June of this year, 2020. And they, I don't know, I don't know what, what the size of their experiment was or what, how, how, what their demographic was, but they, they, they concluded this, that in their survey, they found that 11% of those young people between 18 and 24, or before the age of 18, teenagers, 11% of those that surveyed had considered suicide. And those 18 to 24, one out of four had considered suicide. Now you ask the question, why? The reason, obviously, is loneliness. They do not feel like they're wanted. They do not feel like anybody cares. They do not feel like they're part of the group. They do not feel that, that, like they fit in. I just don't fit. I don't fit. And so I'm going to take my life. So we're not talking about that group now, but we're talking about the older group. Now let's go back to the old folks. Let's talk about that group that gets to the point that they sort of fade out of normal activities. The individual who retires, the individual who doesn't have a job, the individual who, who has lost someone. Now, loneliness can come about for several reasons. As we already said, people can separate you from their society like they did Jesus. He said, I'm going to be rejected. You're all going to reject me. And Peter said, no, not everybody. And guess what? The closest friends Jesus had on this earth rejected him. He said, no. Okay. So we can suffer loneliness if we feel, and again, I'm talking to people who can do something about it. Not to people that are necessarily suffering loneliness, but to people who can do something about it. What happens is that loneliness can come upon us because we have been, we have been shoved out of society or, or shunned or so forth. So we finished our work on, on this earth. We've, we've retired. And one of the greatest problems in retirement and getting old is that people begin to feel lonely. They lose a mate. They lose a close friend. They lose their parents. They lose their brother. They lose their sister. So all of a sudden, everybody is gone that means anything personally to them. And you know what happens? Loneliness. That begins to overtake the individual. Now, again, there have been studies that have been made and the studies tell us that loneliness has certain problems involved in it, certain vested problems, problems that are there that always 
are, are present. Loneliness produces depression. Depression does not produce loneliness. That's a, that's a key. Loneliness produces depression. People are depressed because they're lonely. Okay. And ang anxious. Anxiety is produced through loneliness. People that are lonely are susceptible to depression and anxiety. Let me list, let me list the problems. These are, these are scientific studies that have been taking place in the last few generations, that is, in the last 20 years. This hasn't always been known. It hasn't always been stated openly. But here it is. People that are lonely are sleep-deprived they're susceptible to, to fatigue. They have an increased risk of heart disease. They're a high, they have a higher susceptibility to disease. That's why when we talk about the COVID-19, they say the older people are more susceptible to... Why? Because most or a lot of the older people are lonely. They're lonely. And so they have a higher susceptibility to disease. Loneliness brings about premature aging. More lines in your face. Loneliness produces memory loss. Loneliness has physical problems that are beyond what we would consider to be something that we would take into account as being a major disease, but it is. Loneliness will lower your metabolism. Loneliness will make you prone to obesity. Loneliness is more of a cause of lung cancer than smoking cigarettes. That's something. Loneliness gives you a proneness to type 2 diabetes. And loneliness will, will compromise your immune system, which we already said. In the recent years, our, our society has come to the realization that many of our young people suffer from loneliness, and they often set upon to ease that pain by suicide. You know what they're saying is, they're saying, I'm hurting, and it's your fault. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you how much I hurt how lonely I am. Yes, it is true. Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, the point I'm making is, if I am responsible for somebody else's loneliness, I need to make a change in my life. Not necessarily in theirs, but in mine. It's not good for man to be alone. The current isolation that we have in the COVID-19 situation is not the cause of loneliness. It exacerbates the loneliness and depression, but it didn't cause it. The cause of loneliness comes from the withdrawal of emotional response to someone that loves us. That's what it means. That's what it is. Mother loves you more than me. Well, mother make, should make sure that she distributes that love to everybody. So the, the, the issue is that loneliness is not caused by our current isolation, but it does, does make it a little bit tougher for us, for us to handle. Now, what if I'm lonely? What if I'm lonely? I've lost a mate. I've divorced. I'm in a situation of divorce. Sometimes divorce is worse in terms of loneliness than the loss of a mate. I've lost a friend. Uh, people do not want to be around me. They don't want to don't, don't have anything to do with me. Uh, basically, we we uh, we we have the situation where we have to do some some self inspection. We have to look at ourselves. There may be valid reasons why people avoid me. I may be such an honor guy 
such a, I started to say idiot, which would really be true too. I may be so ornery and so crass and so full of myself and so ignorant of everybody else and, and not caring about anybody else that I drive people away from myself. Now that can, that can happen. I don't know that anybody can help me with that except the Lord. He can help me. Or a friend. And that's why we need each other. We need someone that we can, we can look at ourselves kind of and, and use a mirror. They can hold up a mirror and say, hey, you're behaving badly. You're, you're not doing what you should be doing because you're making people stay. People are avoiding you because of your behavior. It's all about you and nothing about anybody else. And so basically what it comes down to is that we've got a problem and the problem is me. I'm lonely. Why? Because I'm driving people away from myself. But the, uh, the problem can also be that I am making people lonely because I am using that human relationship that we have, withholding it from them to make them feel bad, to make them know how lonely I feel. I don't know whether I'm making myself clear on that or not. But oftentimes, when we get ourselves into a state of depression or anxiety or loneliness, if you please, we get ourselves into that state, we want people to feel our pain. And unless you feel as bad as I do about it, it's not going to work. So I'm going to let you know how bad I feel every time I see you, so I want to drag you in to that with me, because misery loves company. Once you feel as bad as I do, then I feel like, okay, now you've paid some attention to me. I've stubbed my toe. I want you to know how badly that hurts. I'll stub yours for you. No, I won't do that. But I'll, I'll keep telling you about it, and I'll keep reminding you about it. And so you know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to say, hey, all this guy ever talks about is his stubbed toe. I don't want to be around anybody like that. All he ever talks about is how bad he feels. He doesn't care about anybody else. Here's, I, I, can't, I don't know that I want... And all this guy does is criticize everybody else in the world. I don't want to hear those criticisms. So what we're doing inadvertently is we're making ourselves lonely because we're pushing people away from us because of our behavior. That's, that's why I said earlier, I'm not preaching. I'm just talking now. I'm sharing some things with you that the Bible teaches, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment, about loneliness. The vaccine for my loneliness and for my pushing people away and wanting people to feel badly, as bad as I feel, and if they don't feel as bad as I feel, then I don't feel as if I can, that, that I, I can't satisfy myself. So the, 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 uh, the cure for that, there's a pill that cures that. Like I said before, I'm, I'm not talking about people who suffer from chronic depression, a physical ailment. I'm talking about people who suffer from loneliness. How do I get out of that? Does Jesus care if, I, if my heart is breaking? Yes, he does. Does Jesus care if I feel like I've been separated and segregated and shunned, shunted and pushed off to the side and nobody cares about me? My kids never call me. My friends never say anything. All my friends are gone. I don't have any friends. I don't have any family. I'm just all by myself in this whole world. Is there a, is there a pill? Is there, is there a solution? Do I, have, do I have a vaccine for that? And the answer is yes. There's a vaccine. That vaccine is called love. Love cures that, doesn't it? Well, you can see that just like that. You can see that as easily as I can. God said, when, when, the, when the lawyer asked Jesus, Jesus said, when that lawyer asked Jesus, he said, he said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. How would you like your neighbor to treat you like you're treating them? Well, if I'm lonely, how do I get out of my loneliness? How do, I, how do I work myself out of that? How can I break out of my own shell of loneliness and my own feeling of despair, 
my own feeling of anxiety. How can I get out of this? How can Jesus get me out? The first thing that we understand is that we need the sympathetic touch of family and friends and loved ones. We need that. So, as I said, we start behaving ourselves in a better manner so that people will want to be around us. They will want to be with us. It's very easy to see why some people have an avoidance complex. And that is because they, they want more out of you than they're willing to give to you. So if I want more from you than I'm willing to give to you, it's not going to work. Love has to be active. It has to be proactive. So in order for me to get the love I want from you, I have to love you first. I love you first. And I behave like I love you first. And then I'm going to get the response. See, that it's simple. I know some say, well, that's too simple. It's too simple, but it works. That's what Jesus said. A pressing consideration is, does Jesus care if I feel isolated? Yes. Does He know how I feel when others make me feel neglected? Yes. Does He know that I need the sympathetic touch of others? Yes. Does He understand when I feel all alone and that no one is there to relieve my anxieties and my depression? Yes, yes, yes. He knows all of that. And He has given us the solution. And the solution, the pill is love. Aside from the clinical, medical, depression, loneliness is often self-inflicted. We want other people to pity us. We do not want to pity them. We want the pity. But the solution is, isn't it easy, isn't it simple to see? The solution is, I pity you. I extend myself to you. Now let's look at it. Let's make sure we've got it right. Matthew chapter 25. Here is the solution, and it's so easy to see. It's a scene, it's a judgment day scene. The judgment day scene was when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, verse 31, Matthew 25, all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Before him shall be gathered all nations, he will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, he shall set the sheep on his right hand, goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me to eat. Gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and fed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? When saw we thee in sick and in prison came unto you? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Well, when, when do we have an opportunity to do things for people? All we have to do is look around. So my solution and my vaccine and my pill that I take is that I look at the needs of others and I place those needs above my own. So I begin to live an unselfish life, a life that is not simply focused on me, but a life that's focused on you. A life that's focused on you. So instead of myself feeling sorry for myself all the time and feeling anxious about myself all the time, I I think about you. I think, are you hungry? Do you need something to eat? Not, Lord, how are you going to feed me? How how am I going to help you feed them? Pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their need and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James 1.27 that's the religion, that's the kind of activity we should be involved ourselves, involving ourselves in. Now what happens 
What happens when I become self-absorbed? I need to talk about this because this can happen to any of us. When I begin to feel lonely, I want to attract the attention of others. And I want them to feel how bad that I feel. I want them to feel my pain. And so the danger of that is that when I want other people to focus on me, that what I'm doing is I'm pulling them into the hole that I'm in. Don't you see how bad I feel? Can't you feel bad with me? So I'm pulling them in. When Jesus came to this earth, he came with a ladder, not a shovel. He didn't come to dig a deeper hole to put us in. He came with a ladder to put it down and get us out of that hole. Out of the darkness, into the light. So, let me give you an illustration that you're familiar with. Jonah. Jonah, you know the prophet. You know the story. Our kids know the story. Jonah was told, go to Nineveh. I want you to cry out against them that unless they repent, I'm going to destroy the whole city. So Jonah, what did Jonah do? He decided he wouldn't do that. So he took a ship and tried to get away. And during a storm, they finally realized that he was the albatross on board. And even at his own urging, he said, it's me. I'm the one that's causing this problem. So they tossed him overboard. And he was swallowed by a big fish that the Lord had prepared. And after a while, three days, three nights, he was regurgitated up on the shore by Nineveh. So he traveled. He said, okay, I'm going to go do it. He traveled and he went three days' journey through the city of Nineveh, crying out that in 40 days, God was going to destroy you. Then he went up on a hill and he sat down to watch. And guess what? The people repented. Well, that's not what Jonah wanted. He wanted the people, he wanted God to destroy these people. And when God confronted him with it, he said, I, he said, I, I knew that you're merciful and you're good and you're gracious and you'll forgive them. And that disappointed him that God didn't take a hand in making those people feel the pain that he thought they ought to feel. And he sat there and he sat there and he sat there and he sulked and he sulked and he sulked. We don't hear that story generally. We, we just hear about him getting out of the belly of the whale or the great fish. So, basically, he was wanting other people to feel how he felt and to, to receive to the remonstrance of God and it didn't, it didn't happen. So, he didn't get what he wanted. He was concerned about himself and not about the hundreds of thousands of people that inhabited Nineveh. Another occasion happened, and, and this, this we have to understand. When we want to try to help someone who feels depressed and alone and all by themselves, we want to help them. So we, we want to somehow say something or do something that will move them out of that state of loneliness, right? How can I help? Sometimes all a person wants is a phone call from their kids. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You can't provide that. All they want is a hug from their husband or wife. You can't provide that. All they want is for their mom or dad to put their arm around their shoulder and say, we love you. You can't provide that. That's something they have to do. But if they want you to say something about what you feel, you can provide that. But just understand... When some people feel lonely and they isolate themselves and they get into this, this uh, funk where they say, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, nobody wants me. What they're saying basically is certain ones don't want them and certain ones don't care about them and so forth. They're not talking about you. They're talking about their surroundings. What they want you to do is suck in there with them and agree with them. Now that, that won't get them out of it. What, what will get them out of it is love. We've already said that. That's the panacea, love. 
Love for others, not love for yourself. Love for others. That'll get you out of it. So eventually you work yourself out of it. There was another situation in the Bible that uh, involved a fellow by the name of Job. Remember the book of Job? What a book that is. Anyway, Job, Job was a very prosperous man. And he had uh, herdsmen, he had sheep, and he had cattle. And he, had, uh, he had lots of children. He had, he had a great prosperous family and a great prosperous business venture, agricultural business venture. And it was all taken away from him. The devil took it all away from him. And then in addition to this, Job was afflicted with boils. Uh, very painful boils. And he had to scrape the top of them off and relieve the pressure with the potsherds. And in order for him to get any relief, he sat in some ashes, which kind of kept him from, like in the hospital, they sometimes put people on sheepskins, just keep them from further hurting themselves and further any further pain. That's what Job did. And then his friends heard about this. Well, the first thing that happened after this, after he lost his children, he lost his possessions, he lost his, he's lost his herdsmen. And then his wife came to him and said, why don't you curse God and die? And she, she told him even his breath was foul to her. She didn't even want to be around him. Curse God and die. So Job was in a bad state, wasn't he? If any man could be said to be lonely, that man could probably be said to be there. He felt like he had been abandoned. But he knew God had not abandoned him. That's the point. God had not abandoned him. And his three friends came in order to, in order to uh, help him understand that. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they were friends. They heard about him. And so they came and sat down with him. They didn't say a word. They just came and sat down with him while he was suffering. Didn't say one word for seven days. Okay. Finally, one of them popped up and said, You know what, Job? You, this is happening to you because you deserve it. So that was his comforting words. And Job, of course, <laughs> denied that. And that, that's, what, that's what went on until they finally, the last, the last fellow that talked to him said, to, and that was Zophar, he said, this is happening to you because your kids are no good. So they, they poured all this on him, said, you're not a good guy, you've been doing the wrong things, and even your kids are bad. And Job did not respond to that in the way the friends wanted him to respond. The point is, Job was alone. But Job was not lonely. Because Job said, just like Jesus said, I am not alone. God was with him. So he knew that what he was doing was right. So what I'm saying is, when you begin to feel lonely, the first thing you do is you say, have I been doing the right things? Am I lonely because of me? Or am I lonely because of them? Now, if it's because of them, it's easy to take, right? You can say, okay, it's their problem, not mine. I, I didn't do this. I, I've taken care of my responsibilities. And so because I've taken care of my responsibilities, I can feel like I do not have to be reduced in my own self-image any further. I am a child of God, and I have been doing what's right. Now, if you've been doing what's wrong... You may deserve people separating themselves from you. But if you're doing what's right, like Job was doing, Job said, I, I haven't done anything wrong. And they're trying to get him to, to admit that he's done something wrong. You know, I haven't done anything wrong. Were you lonely, Job? Well, sure he's lonely. Everybody had abandoned him. But he knew that he had not done anything wrong. So when you feel lonely, analyze it. Look at yourself and say, have I done something wrong? What did I do to bring this upon me? You know, people will use human relations in order to punish each other. You know that? If, if someone wants to, to hurt you the worst possible way they can, they will hurt you through those close personal relationships they have with you. I just won't talk to you anymore. I'll never speak to you again. Best friend, I'll never speak to you again. I'm going to hurt you because I, 
I'm just going to hurt you. Well, that's wrong. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. I'm not going to let my kids talk to you anymore. Why? Because I'm trying to hurt you. And that's wrong. Obviously it's wrong. Now, we have a responsibility as an individual to make sure that the people that we relate to that depend upon us in our personal relationships. Again, I want to make mention of the fact that if a husband is not giving attention to his wife like he should, I can't help that. If a wife is not giving attention to her husband like, like she should, if she's keeping herself from him, or if, if she's saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to nag him and so forth and, and make, him, make his life miserable, I can't do anything about that. So, but there's somebody who can, and that's the husband or wife or the friend or the neighbor, whatever it may be. That individual that's closest to them is the one who can either damage them or heal them, damage them through loneliness or heal them through love. That, that can be done. Now, Paul said it this way. He said, if any provide not for his own, especially of those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, which tells me, that I have a responsibility to my immediate family to make sure that my wife has the attention that, that she needs, that my, my parents are honored, that I honor them, that my relatives know that I care about them, that my children are well taken care of, and that I pay attention to their needs. Now that's the nuclear family. That's the Romanian family was, we can do a better job of this than you can. And the result of that was, no, you can't. The family can do the best job. And that's what Paul said, take care of your own house. Take care of it. And when that happens, of course, then we begin to solve the problem of loneliness. And if I'm busy doing that, I'm probably not lonely. <laughs> if I'm busy doing what God told me to do and loving you, then I'm, in all likelihood, I'm not going to be alone. That means, and of course sometimes this isn't enough. Yeah, we want more than this, but, but you know what? Jesus found that his greatest source of strength within himself was the fact that he knew that his Father was always there. And when he, when he really hit the wall is when his father turned his face away from him. That's when he hit the wall. But until then, he knew that he could face anything on this earth as long as his father was with him. He knew that. And that's what we should know. That we could do anything on this earth as long as we know that the father is with us. If God be for us, Paul said, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. And in Hebrews chapter 13, and verse 5, you know what God said? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Matthew 28, verse 20, after Jesus told the apostles, hey, go out here and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, and lo, I am with you even in the end of the world. I can't tell you not to be lonely. I can tell you why sometimes you're lonely. I can't tell you how to get out of your loneliness because I don't always know what causes it. I do know this, that the people closest to you create your loneliness. Not the stranger. Not the person across the street. Not the person across town, not the person across the state, not a person across the country. Strangers do not hurt you. It's those who love you hurt you. And if I can, with my own family, reach out and tell them, here, you're accepted with me. I like you. I love you. I want you to know that you are part of our family, that you're there, that, uh, that you're not alone. Then that's what I can do. And I can also help the stranger by letting them know that I care. So sometimes it comes down to the fact that when a person is abandoned by everybody else, that someone comes along imbued with the Spirit of God that reaches out the helping hand, the touching hand, and says, hey, 
don't feel bad. I like you. That may be you doing that for someone you don't know. That's the cure for loneliness. 